we're glad that you're here today. If you're visiting, as always, we encourage you to come back and be with us again. Today is the beginning of our gospel meeting, and we're thankful for the opportunity before us. It is our prayer that this will be a good week and that you will have the opportunity to be present for every service. We want to encourage everyone to try and make it a point to be present for every service. In our study this morning, we're going to be looking at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 as we think about the theme, the Bible is right. And before we do that, we want to have a word of prayer. There are several that we, as always, need to remember in our prayers. Wynette Payne was telling me about her granddaughter, great-granddaughter, I'm sorry, that fell, was it last week? Wednesday night she fell and, and uh, six years old, is that right? She fell and was knocked unconscious and had a, uh, a large gash in her chin and they, they, they thought she had several uh, internal injuries and uh, it turns out that the prognosis much better than originally they thought. She spent two days in the hospital though and so we want to remember her in our prayers and uh, we're grateful that she is doing better. We are glad that Brother Connor Gray is able to be out with us today. Brother Ray was in the hospital for over a week, 10 days. And he is due to hopefully go back to a new doctor this week. He still needs to have a procedure on his throat. Uh, he's got some, some issues with his throat. And uh, they, for whatever reason, did not do the surgery last week. And so hopefully they can get things lined up and, and get back in the hospital and get this, uh, outpatient surgery and get this procedure taken care of uh, very quickly. Uh, Doris Green said that we need to remember Catherine Martin in our prayers. Catherine has had uh, several health issues recently. She's having a lot of pain in her back and legs and wanted to come today but unable to be out. And so we, we, we do want to remember her in our prayers. Uh, Laura Woods, I was talking to Brother Wyatt just a moment ago and she is home today. Uh, she, as, as we mentioned recently, she's had some problems with glaucoma and she is going to be having surgery on, her, uh, on one of her eyes in the near future uh, as a result of the glaucoma problems that, that she experiences and also uh, some problems related to her leukemia. And so, and so I know that they would appreciate our prayers. Uh, <clears throat> Margaret Ray, the mother of Tommy Bell, was in the hospital last week. She fell and broke her hip, as you know, and she was moved to, is it Trinity Rehab Healthcare and in Bahalia? And uh, I'm not sure how long she's going to be there, but she's 93 years of age and just a lot of health issues, so I want to remember her. All right, anybody else? I did fail to mention Barry Ray had hernia surgery on Friday. And he came through surgery well, and I think he's supposed to be here today. And so we're, we're glad to be able to report he's doing better. All right, before we begin, let's, let's uh, have a word of prayer, and then we will look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Brother George, would, would you lead us in prayer this morning? All right, thank you. We have been studying on Sunday mornings from the book of Luke, and since we have a gospel meeting beginning this week, we're taking a little bit of a detour, a, a detour and we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 and think for a moment or two about the theme, the Bible is right. We live in a day and time in which unfortunately the Bible is under attack. 
And there have been a lot of individuals, there have been concerted efforts on the part of individuals to really expunge the Word of God from public life. And yet I believe that God's Word ought to be paramount in the lives of every person. It ought to be something that we treasure. And Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 23, many, many centuries ago, buy the truth and sell it not. Someone said, if you take care of your Bible, your Bible will take care of you. And I think that's true. And what we want to do is develop an appreciation for the Word of God and understand that the Bible is always right. We may be wrong, and our conclusions may be wrong, and yet God's Word is never wrong. And ultimately, God's Word is what sheds light on how to live and how to interact with one another in a peaceable way and ultimately how to have fellowship with God. There are a couple of things I want us to think about in our, in our study today. First of all, I want us to think for a moment about the author of Scripture. And I think it's imperative that we understand the origin or authorship of Scripture. And I would suggest that the author of Scripture, the originator of Scripture, is Almighty God. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 16. Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And the idea is that God's Word, that this, that this book that we hold in our hands, is God-breathed. In other words, it comes to us by the living God. And there are a lot of verses throughout the Bible that attest to the authenticity of this book and the fact that this is indeed a book that comes to us from God. And when we talk about the author of Scripture... Let me, let me just begin by saying this. When you look at the Old Testament, there are 39 books comprising the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there are 27 books. Collectively, there are 66 books in both the Old and New Testaments. And yet, each and every book, if you look at them from an objective standpoint, you'll see that there is a unifying theme. Some 40 different writers penned these books over a period of about 1,600 years. How do you account for the fact that there is unity and harmony throughout both the Old and New Testaments? In the Old Testament, the, the writers were simply pointing to the coming of the Messiah, and the Messiah had to do with God's great and grand scheme of redemption. The New Testament, primarily Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, affirmed that Christ has come, the Messiah has come. And then from Acts to Revelation, there's an affirmation that the Christ will come again. This has to do with his second advent. Well, Paul said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Now, we think about the Old Testament Scriptures. They were given by inspiration of God. And over and over again, you'll read about God said or the Lord said. And I think, again, emphasizing the fact that this, this book comes to us from Almighty God. There are some passages I would call your attention to that I think certainly underscore uh, this great point. First of all, go back and look for a moment at 2 Samuel chapter 23. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, listen to what David said. And of course, we think about David. David was one of the great penmen in the book of Psalms. In 2 Samuel 23, at verse 2, here's what David said. The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. David, of course, inspired of God to write, for example, many of the Psalms. And then I think about the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 24. And one of the, one of the I think, important points uh, to press 
is that Jesus placed his divine stamp of approval on the Old Testament. And we talk about the divisions of the Old Testament. Look, if you would, at Luke 24, beginning in verse 44. In Luke 24, verse 44, here's what Jesus said prior to ascending to heaven. He said, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And so here, Jesus is simply placing his divine stamp of approval on those things that had been, had been penned by Moses. We talk about the Decalogue, the first five books, uh, or, or rather the, the Pentateuch. We talk about the first five books of the Old Testament. Well, who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament? Well, Moses did. And he wrote those books by inspiration. Then he appeals to the prophets. And we look at the great prophets of God that spoke in days gone by. And then the Psalms, 150 Psalms, written by various individuals. We said just a moment ago, David was responsible for many of the Psalms. I think about Moses in Psalm 90, had the opportunity to, to, uh, to pen that great Psalm. And so uh, the idea is that Jesus understood that the Scriptures where God originated. And then also look at John chapter 5 for just a moment. Look at John 5. Again, Jesus here underscores the fact that the Scriptures are of divine origin. Look, if you would, at John 5, verse 39. Jesus said, You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. These are they which testify of me. We talk about the Old Testament, pointing to the coming of the Messiah. The Old Testament writers were pointing to the promised seed that was set forth or announced in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And really, beginning at that point in time, God began unveiling His plan of redemption. And that plan of redemption came to fruition uh, in Jesus Christ. But then in verse 40, He said, But you're not willing to come to Me that you may have life. Now drop down and look at verse 46. He said, If you believe Moses, you would believe Me, for He wrote about Me. But if you do not believe His writings... How will you believe my words? And so again, Jesus placing his stamp of approval on the Old Testament. And then also in Matthew chapter 4, you remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? Some three times Satan came to him and appealed to him. And yet Jesus each and every time would say, it is written. And, and I think, again, emphasizing scripture. He's going back and, and quoting what, what Moses and the law had recorded. But then by way of New Testament scripture. And what some of the writers there had to say. Look, for example, at 2 Peter chapter 1 for just a moment. In 2 Peter chapter 1, in verse 3, the Apostle Peter said, According as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And so here the Apostle Peter talks about how God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. But drop down and look at verse 20. In verse 20, Peter would say, knowing this first, 
that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. And really what Peter is saying there is this, that the Scripture did not originate with mankind. It's not something that man thought up. It's not something that man devised or created, but rather it is of divine origin. And then in verse 21 he said, The prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke, or they were born along, or they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And here again we talk about the superintendence of the Holy Spirit and His work in the inspiration of Scripture. And I think this is borne out in, in what Jesus said prior to ascending back to heaven, really, really prior to His death in John 16. Jesus talked about in John 16, 13, He said, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. And of course the Holy Spirit was responsible for the writing of the New Testament. He inspired holy men of God. Another passage of Scripture that I would call your attention to would be Ephesians chapter 3. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 3, listen to what Paul said, and I think Paul here really in, in, a, in, a, in a way emphasizes how God through the Holy Spirit revealed His Word. In verse 3 he said, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in a few words. Paul here talking about how he received, he received revelation from Almighty God. He said he took that revelation and wrote it down in a few words. Now look at verse 4. He would say, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. We talk about a mystery. A mystery is something that is unknown. It's hidden. It's concealed. Well, the only way that we can understand the mystery is for it to be, uh, is for it to be revealed. And so the Holy Spirit provided revelation. Paul took that revelation, he wrote it down in human words, and he said, so that when you read it, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Well, what was that mystery? In verse 5 he said, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to His holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body, partakers of His promise in Christ through the gospel. God's eternal plan was to save both Jews and Gentiles in one body, the church. Well, that was a mystery that later came to be revealed through the Holy Spirit and the writings of the holy men of Almighty God. All right, one other passage of Scripture, and then we're going to move on. We don't have time to just uh, spend an inordinate amount of time talking about the author of Scripture, but also look at 2 Thessalonians for just a moment. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. When Paul wrote to the saints in Thessalonica, Paul, as you know, had the opportunity to visit the city of Thessalonica with Silas. And unfortunately, he was literally run out of town, and they had been charged with turning the, the city upside down. But look, look at Second Thessalonians, or rather 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 at verse 13. When Paul writes to the church there, he talks about their reception of the Word of God. In verse 13 he said, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it or received it, not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth the Word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Paul here, all Paul is saying is that they received the Word of God not as a message that originated from mankind, but rather he said, you receive the Word of God as it is in truth. That is, it is the Word of Almighty God. 
Now, I said just a moment ago that there are a lot of people that have sought to do, uh, sought to the best of their ability to expunge the Word of God from our society. And yet, think about what Isaiah said many, many years ago. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, Isaiah said, The Word of our God stands forever. Despite the feeble, the, the feeble efforts of individuals down through time, and despite the, uh, the assault on the Bible by many individuals, God's Word has stood the test of time. I think from a providential standpoint, we can give that we have God's Word. And God has preserved His Word through providence. I'll go back again and look now at 2 Timothy chapter 3 for a moment. We talk about the author of Scripture, and of course the author of Scripture is Almighty God. But I want you to think with me in the second place about the aim or objective of Scripture. Why do you think God gave us His Word? Why would God give us what we call the Bible? Well, there has to be a reason for that. Look, if you would, again at verse 16. Paul said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. I would emphasize that word profitable. The Word of God is profitable. But think about this. The Word of God can't help us if we, if we, don't, if we don't know it and if we don't learn from it. Go back and look at, at Psalm 119 for just a moment. There's a passage of Scripture in Psalm 119 that I think is pertinent to our study. Look, if you would, at Psalm 119, verse 104. Listen to what the psalmist said. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Now look at verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The psalmist here is saying that the word of God does what? It enlightens. We, we live in a world that is filled with spiritual darkness. John talks about how the world is engulfed in spiritual darkness in 1 John 5 verse 19. Jesus talked about how light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light in John chapter 3. The world is under, under, under the, the domain, the direction of Satan. Satan is called the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. And so we need the Word of God to give us light. In other words, the Word of God is profitable. It can benefit us, but it can't benefit us if we don't know what it says. It can't benefit us if we don't learn from its precepts. There's a great passage of Scripture found in the book of Isaiah. Look, look for example... Over in Isaiah 34 for just a moment. In Isaiah 34, verse 16, listen to what the prophet said. He said, search from the book of the Lord, or seek ye out the book of the Lord. Now listen to him. And read. You remember what Paul said? Paul said that he received revelation from God. He took that revelation, wrote it down in human words. He said, so that when you read my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, you may what? You may understand. God wants you to understand His Word. Why do you think He wants you to understand His Word? Because it will profit you. Again, we go back to this idea. God's Word can't profit us. It can't benefit us. It can't bless us if we don't know what it says. In Matthew chapter 19, when Jesus was asked by the religious leaders of His day about divorce, 
they, they came to him and they said, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Listen to how Jesus responded to that question. He asked them one simple question. Have you not read? When, when we talk about the problems of our society, and we talk about the aim of Scripture, the objective of Scripture, God wants to bless you. God wants to bless me. He wants us to benefit from His Word. But we can't be benefited and blessed if we don't know what it says. That's why when Jesus, when He responded to this question, I think He hit the nail on the head. He said, have you not read? Look, look at our society today. And, and look at some of the ills of our society. We talk about some of the basic fundamental philosophies of life. There are really three basic philosophies of life that the Bible answers. Number one, where did we come from? Now to those of us who believe the Word of God, we would say that we come from God. But look, if you would, at the, at the vast numbers of people in our society today that will say, well, we, came, we, we are the products of chance. You ever hear that? Some would say, well, we are the products of evolution. Or maybe some cataclysmic explosion. Look, look at our school system today. There are a lot of benefits and blessings associated in, in, the, in the public school system. But one of the detriments of our school system is the fact that in many cases, our young people today are taught that we are the products of evolution. I don't believe that. When we ask the question, where did we come from? What is our origin? Well, the only, the only plausible answer is that we are the products of a loving God. Go back and look at Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, we are introduced to whom? To God. In the beginning, what did God do? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is responsible for, for the world. Now we talk about how can we know that there's a God. Look at all the people in our world today that, that literally wave God off. You, you and I, we stand up and we say we believe that there's a God. And, and, and yet there are a lot of people that say, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe that, that there is a divine being that created this world. Well, what about, what about design? Does design not demand a designer? If you and I were to, if you and I were to, to hold up a watch and someone, someone were to say to us, what, what kind of watch is that? And then we, we say Timex or Seiko or Citizen or whatever. Well, what if, what if you just said, if someone said, who made that watch? You said, well, no one, it just, it just, it just appeared. Let, let me say this. You, you could take this watch and you could literally break it down in, into minute pieces. I don't know how many pieces compose a watch, but I suspect there are quite a few. You, you, could, you could take all the pieces of a watch, put them in a box, and shake that box till Jesus comes, but it will never make a watch. You have the components of a watch, but it won't make a watch. Why? Because a watch has to have a watchmaker. By the same token, we talk about creation. When we look at the world and, and we talk about the evidence for God, 
The psalmist said, The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows His handiwork. Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. The Hebrew writer said, Every house is built by some man. If I were to ask you who built your house, you would tell me a certain builder built your house. What if I said, who built your house? You said, well, you know what? I was driving down the street one day, and there was a vacant lot. Came back the next day, and it just appeared. What would you conclude? I'd lost my mind, and rightly so. If you have a house, you have to have a builder. If you have a world, you have to have an architect. You have to have a builder. The Hebrew writer said, every house is built by some man, but he that built all things is God. Now we talk about mankind. Who made man? Well, in Genesis 1 verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. The only plausible explanation for the human body that I possess is Almighty God. Look at the complexities of the human body. You mean to tell me that this body is the product of chance or evolution? I couldn't buy that if I wanted to. Look at, look at the human body and how intricately woven and made this body is. Now we talk about, we talk about science today and medical technology. And let me tell you what, I'm grateful for medical technology and all the advancements in, in, the, in the realms of science. But we can't duplicate what God made. No one can. I, I remember years ago, there was a friend of mine who's now deceased, and he lost an arm, really lost a shoulder and an arm, due to what he believed to be was Agent Orange in the Vietnam War. And I remember him telling me on one occasion, he said, the military, the, the government is going to provide me with a new arm. And he talked about how fancy this arm was going to be. And he said that this arm, would, it, it, it looked just like your hand. And, and you know what? That, that arm cost $15,000 at that time. And I remember he came to services one day, and it was a fancy looking arm. But after a short period of time, he quit wearing that prosthetic arm because he said it weighed too much. And the bottom line is, look, mankind cannot duplicate what God made. The psalmist said, we have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Look at the eye. Look at the brain. Look at, think about our hearing. You mean to tell me that all that's just a product of chance? That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Doesn't make a bit of sense. So the Bible answers the question, where did we come from? We've got young people today asking the question, where do we come from? And we, and we talk about the sanctity of human life. Is it not the case? Paul said all scripture given by inspiration of God is profitable. Look at the devaluation of the human life in our society. Young people killing young people. Kids going to school and going on a rampage and killing teachers and, and students, innocent people. Why is that? Because people no longer believe in the sanctity of life. Listen, if we, if we simply evolved from a lower form of life, then we're nothing more than an animal. And, and, and I think that you know when we talk about the sanctity of life, one of the reasons why people no longer believe life is precious is because we have been sold a bill of goods in our country that is false to the core. 
And the idea is that there is, there is no God, there is no creator, and yet the Bible answers the question where we came from. Paul in Acts chapter 17 said, God has, what, has made from one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. God is the one responsible for the creation of man. God is the one who fathered our spirits. But then there is a second question that I think the Bible answers. What are we doing here? Look at how many people in our world today, if you were to ask them, what is the purpose of life? They, they, couldn't, they couldn't tell you. If you were to ask them, what are you doing here on planet Earth? What would they say? Was there not a reason why God made us? Did, did God not make us as the crown of His creation for His glory? Look, if you would, at Isaiah chapter 43 for a moment. Look at Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. In Isaiah 43, verse 7, listen to what Isaiah said on behalf of God. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. God made us for His glory. Now I think, you know, from a, from a selfish, materialistic, worldly vantage point, sometimes we have the idea that we're here to, to simply satisfy our fleshly lust. Our, we, we want to indulge ourselves, and it's all about us, and it's not about anyone else or anything else. But, but when you come to appreciate the fact that we are the products of God, and that God made us, then there has to be a reason for Almighty God making us. And the reason that God made us is so that we can bring Him honor and glory. Now, we go back and we talk, we talk about the scheme of redemption. And if you wanted to just, I guess if you wanted to sum up the Bible in one word, it would be redemption or salvation. God is interested in the salvation of mankind. And, and the Old Testament is pointing people in the direction of the coming of the Messiah the coming of Christ and the coming of His church. And the church is simply the house of the saved. And, and so we, we, we ask the question, what is our purpose? What's, what's the purpose of the church? The church exists to bring, to bring God glory. Well, who comprises the church? The saved do. What is the, the church isn't a building. The, the church is not brick and mortar. The church is the people. We make up the household of God, and we exist to bring God glory. Let me, let me give you a passage of Scripture along these lines, and then we'll go back and look at a couple of other verses very quickly. But look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 21, Paul said, To Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. God is glorified where? In the church. That is, by individuals who wear His name. We understand our purpose. We understand what we're doing here on planet Earth. Now, go back and look at the book of Ecclesiastes. You ever thought about the greatness of Solomon? It was said by the Queen of Sheba with regard to the kingdom of Solomon, she said, the half hasn't been told. I can't begin to fathom the immense greatness and wealth of that man. 
And, and Solomon was a man that literally had the opportunity to experience everything in life. As a matter of fact, in chapter 2, verse 10, he would say, Whatever my eyes desired, I kept not from them. Solomon literally immersed himself in all of the pleasures and, 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 and things that the world had to offer. But the bottom line was Solomon realized that, was, that, that that's not what life is all about. He, he concluded that, look, life is empty. Look, look, if you would, at that expression that is used, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. And I think all Solomon was saying in the long ago was this, a life without God is without meaning. And again, we, we talk about the sanctity of human life and, and the purpose of life. And there are people in our world today that are sadly, they are deep in depression they, they, they misunderstand their purpose in life. They misunderstand the purpose of life. And so they are unhappy, discontent. And so with that in mind, look at Ecclesiastes 12 very quickly. I said a moment ago that life without God is a life without meaning. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, Solomon pictures the aging process. And whether we like it or not, we're getting older every day. And Solomon understands that life is coming to a crashing halt. And he said, at death, what happens? Well, he said, the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. All right, Solomon has experienced everything life has to offer. He has immense wealth. He is a man of tremendous power. He, he is a man well known by his, by his peers. We talk about fame or popularity. Well, Solomon, Solomon was a great man. But Solomon, down in verse 13, he said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. I, I like one translation of the New King James Version that says, this is man's all. And all Solomon was saying is that what life is all about is fearing God and keeping His commandments. Living a life centered on God. And ultimately he said, in so doing, you, you'll find contentment and happiness and satisfaction. And then in verse 14 he said, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it is good or whether it is evil. So, the Bible, we talk about the aim of Scripture. It answers where we came from, it answers what we're doing here, and it also answers where we're going. Where are we going from here? Well, listen again to what Solomon said. Go back and look, if you would, at, at chapter 12, verse 7. Again, Solomon talks about this aging process. And he said that when, when death comes... When the silver cord is loose, the golden bowl is broken, the pitcher shattered at the fountain, the wheel broken at the well, he said, then the dust will return to the earth as it was. And the Spirit will return to God who gave it. So we talk about where we came from, what we're doing here, and where we're going. We are ultimately headed for eternity. Now, how do we know there's a God? We can know that there is a God by creation. Creation is evidence that there's a mighty God. But we can't know the mind of God. 
And when we talk about the mind of God, we can't understand where we came from. We can't understand what we're doing here and where we're going in all of its fullness without revelation. We can understand that we've been made by a divine being. But we can't know the mind of God without revelation. So again, we talk about going back to 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For? For what? For in reproof? Well, it's, the word I would key in on, it's profitable for instruction. God's Word can profit us if we'll let us. Now, I said a moment ago, well, I said at the onset of our lesson, God's Word can't help us if we don't listen and learn. L- let me just give you a couple of examples very quickly. Well, our time's gone, but look, look at the application. God can help you with your home life if you'll listen and learn. God can help you in your work life if you'll listen and learn. God can help you in, in finding happiness and contentment if you'll listen and learn. All right, we better close there. We appreciate so much your presence today.